Mic on? All right. Welcome. It's great to have you here, especially those of you who are our guests this morning. I say this with absolute genuineness. Uh, it is our privilege uh, that you've chosen to come and spend this Sunday with us and uh, celebrating the most wonderful truth of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin today by reading the passage of Scripture that I'm going to be talking from, and it's Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, and just a few verses that uh, describe a part of the resurrection of, or the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So, Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. People stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We're punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. This scripture contains two of the seven famous last words of Christ, both heard by the two men crucified with him and both potentially life-changing for all of us. The word of forgiveness, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. The word of assurance, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me paradise. As I was working on this sermon, one day I, I, I got curious and actually went online to see what I could find. I, I became curious about how, you know, how many truly profound last words are there that have been spoken by men and women throughout human history. And I was a little disappointed, a little surprised to discover that there really are uh, very, very few famous last words even worth repeating. I thought it would have been nice, you know, in introducing the sermon to have a few other famous last words for all of you, and I, I, I just couldn't find any. Um, 
Fortunately, there, there are always the famous last words that men have spoken when they've been about to do, you know, they were about to do something that was really stupid. Okay? Like, I've never done this with a chainsaw before, but hey, what could go wrong? <laughs> you know, or I know I'm not an electrician, but how hard could this be? Um, or I love this one. I've heard this one, actually. There's no way I'm going to pay anybody to clean the snow off my roof. Uh, I know somebody who said that and had this amazing leap off his roof. Um, one of that, I was telling somebody before first service, a couple actually at the door, about what I was going to do about these famous last words. And he said, well, we got one for you that, that's really an all-time classic and it's really, really, really very, very dangerous, probably more dangerous than any of the other famous last words. is when a guy goes up to somebody, uh, a woman, and, and says, when's the baby due? <laughs> and she's not pregnant. All right. Okay. What Jesus said on the cross is truly worth repeating. The most important words you and I could ever hear or understand, all because of the difference they can make in our lives, not only during our life here on earth, but for all of eternity. So what I'd like to do here in these next few moments, minutes that I have, is talk through these words with you. And, and I'd like to do this because, you know, a little, it's a little ironic that one of the things that can happen so easily on Easter with all that fun, good stuff that happens, you know, the big, the big dinner, the big brunch that you're all, you know, not, not going to think about until you leave here today, you know, or the chocolate bunnies or the Easter egg rolls or dressing up. You all look, you, you really look good this morning, you know, and dressing up. You know, all this stuff that can kind of wrap itself around Easter, so easy to miss what Easter's all about. And I don't, I don't want us to miss it. I mean, the stakes are too high. And so what I'm going to talk about today may not be what you expected. I'm actually not going to talk about the resurrection, right? But I, 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 I really believe that when I'm all done here, you're going to say, you know what? It was worth it. Glad I came. Okay? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even make a suggestion this morning, and you may have never done this on Easter Sunday, but yet you've got a bulletin if you, if you got one when you came in. There's a place where you can write down some, some notes. I'm going to encourage you to take out a pen or if you're you know, using a laptop or I mean an iPad or whatever, you can take your notes on. Um, and I'll, t I'll, I'll help you out with this, okay? I'll tell you, I'll suggest and when you might want to write something down, okay? It will help you really identify. This is the stuff to remember when I, when I leave here today. So first of all, the word of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You know, it's only an understanding that God's forgiveness is our absolute greatest need that you and I can understand how significant it was that, that, that forgiveness, words of forgiveness were the first words that Christ spoke on the cross. You know, I wonder what it was like for the two men crucified with him to hear him say this. I mean, as honestly, as much as any person possibly could, they, they, 
they knew the suffering that Jesus Christ was experiencing, and they were experiencing it themselves. They were also being, being crucified. But what Jesus asked God to do for those who were, who were torturing him is, I, I would say probably I'm 99% right in saying that that's, it's not something that those two men hanging on, on a cross would have considered themselves. I'm, I'm guessing, and I'm, I'm thinking it's a pretty good guess, that it's not words of forgiveness that would have come out of their mouths, but words of cursing, you know, cursing those who were killing them. And yet that's what they heard from Jesus, words of forgiveness. He prayed this for the religious leaders who falsely accused him. He prayed this for Pilate who condemned him to death. Father, forgive them. He prayed this for the soldiers who brutally whipped him, not striking him once, but repeatedly, and doing this with a whip that was made to dig into the flesh of the person being whipped to the point of ripping open the flesh on their back. Father, forgive them. He prayed this for the men who stripped him and put a crown of thorns on his head, pushing it down so that the blood flowed. He, he prayed this for those who mocked him and spit on him, and hit him again and again. He prayed, Father, forgive them. <laughs> he prayed this for the men who nailed him to the cross. He prayed this for those who mocked him as he hung suspended and humiliated and dying for all to see. Father, forgive them. It's after all of this that Jesus prayed these words of forgiveness, and through it all, he was in complete control the whole time. He, he never spoke a single word of anger. In fact, truth is, is until this prayer, he said nothing to or nothing about the men who crucified him. What, what he was really doing was he was fulfilling the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah that had been written hundreds and hundreds of years before, where Isaiah said he was oppressed and afflicted and Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He prayed for those who were killing him. As brutal as their death was, and you might be surprised to hear me say this, I cannot think of a greater privilege than that of the two men who were crucified with Jesus. To, to experience the physical suffering that he experienced, to, 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 to know what this meant for him. I mean, you and I, we read about it, we hear about it, we talk about it, but they experienced it. The, the same cross, the same nails, the same agonizing death. And then to hear his prayer of forgiveness for those who were killing him. I mean, to, to be there, to, to see what was done to Jesus. And then, and then to hear him forgive every person who was putting him to death. I, honestly, I'm at a loss for words to describe how powerful an experience this would have been for these men. But it's how each one of these men responded that made all the difference in their life. 
And the same is true for each one of us here today. And, 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 and it, it's, it's what I've been praying about over the last several weeks as I've been looking forward to this morning. I've been praying that you and I will allow it to make the difference in our lives that it's meant to make. So that brings us to the second word that Christ spoke, the word of assurance where he turned to one of those criminals and he said, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Imagine what that was like. Knowing you were only a few short hours, perhaps even minutes away from death, to hear these words spoken to you from someone you knew was the Son of God, God himself, saying to you, today you will be with me in heaven, in, in paradise. I read this, and it begs the question, what was it that caused Jesus to say this to a man who had lived a life of crime? I mean, here's this guy in the last moments of his life. It's nearly over. There's nothing that he can do to right the wrong that he's done. And yet Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in heaven. Why would Jesus say this to a sinner on a cross, dying? <clears throat> Tell you what, everybody, we answer this question, and we have the answer to the most important question that we could ever ask ourselves, and it's this question. What would it take for Jesus to say this to me? To me. What would it take for Jesus to say this to me? Or, or, or to ask it this way, how can I know with absolute certainty that if I died today, I would spend eternity with God in heaven? I can't think of anything more important to know than this. To know that when I take my last breath on earth, that at that exact moment, I'm going to be with God's Son, with Jesus Christ in heaven. And so here's the question that we're going to answer this morning and if you've got your pen pen this is what I would write down this is where I'd start writing something this question how can I know that when I die I'll go to heaven you might if you want to even make it shorter you could just write heaven question mark at the top how could I know when I die that I'll go to heaven how can I know this with total confidence with no doubt that's the question we're going to answer. And, and, and to answer this question, there's four questions that I'm going to ask you, all right? Have you ever had that experience where somebody answers your question with a question? I'm going to do it four times this morning, okay? All right. Fortunately, the right answer to the question is found in the verses that I read a minute ago. So here's the first question. You want, you want to write this down. Do you see your spiritual need? Do you see your spiritual need? Or if you want to personalize, you could, you could say, do I see my spiritual need? Do you see your need of God's forgiveness? Do you, do you see your need of a Savior? You see the two criminals hanging on those two crosses represent each one of us. One of those men mocked Jesus. He, he didn't think of himself as a sinner. He didn't really think of himself as being that bad. He didn't think he needed a Savior. And so he dismissed Jesus. He mocked him. The, the other man looked to Jesus Christ for mercy. He knew he was a sinner. He knew that someday he would stand before God. He, he recognized his need of a Savior. And so he looked to Jesus Christ for mercy. Yeah. 
And what he said about himself, each one of us need to say about ourselves. He said this in verse 41. He said, we're punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. He's saying, I'm on the cross because I deserve to be on the cross. I'm, I'm guilty and I deserve God's punishment for my sin. And, and so here again, here's the question. Do you see your spiritual need? Do you, do you recognize the seriousness of your sin before a holy God? I'm asking you this question because a lot of people don't see this. They know they've sinned, but they, they don't really understand the seriousness of their sin. And, and the reason they don't is that they're comparing, very often, they're, they're comparing themselves with other people. And whenever any one of us do this, we always find someone who sinned a whole lot more than we have. It's like we grade ourselves against other people. It's a kind of grading on the curve kind of a deal. And, and, and in our own opinion, we always score high, you know, high enough at least for God to accept us. See, that, I'm guessing that's what that one criminal on the cross did. See, I, I think he had his own scorecard his own way of measuring the worth of a person. And, and as amazing as we might think it is, I, I think the guy scored himself high. Yeah. I always come over um, Saturdays just to go through my sermon one final time. And uh, when I was over here yesterday doing it, I remembered the book that Chuck Colson had written many years ago called Loving God. And I don't know why I remember this, but in that book, Colson writes about this guy by the name of Mickey Cohen, who was a, a mobster, a gangster back in the 40s. In fact, he was like the mob boss in Los Angeles back at that period of time. And, and somehow, through some connection with somebody, he, he got connected. So he actually went to a Billy Graham crusade one day and and, 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 and he had his friend who talked with him, but the thing that Mickey Cohen could not ex accept, he just, he would not agree with it, and that is that he was a sinner that was bad enough to go to hell. He just, he couldn't buy into that one. And now, I don't know why I remember it, but I remembered that the writer quoted this Mickey Cohen, and I just, I mean, I thought, this is classic, okay? So I, 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 rewrote my notes and put it into my notes. I want to share it with you. I think you'll like this. Didn't get time to put it up on PowerPoint, but listen to this. This is Mickey Cohen, a guy who killed a lot of people. This is what he said, okay? He said, I always strive for the best, to do things in a professional way. I mean, I have my own principles about things. Like when I pulled off a heist, it, it was a bad reflection upon my own self if anybody just standing around got hurt. I was never a person who would take the life of anybody unless it was absolutely a must. I love that. And, and, then, and then he said this about himself. No one, who, no one who knew ever said Mickey Cohen wasn't one of the finest. Yeah. See, we all... It's so easy for any one of us to do that at our own level. But what we've got to do is what the other criminal did. It, it's, you see, he didn't look at the other guy in the, on, the, on the cross and say, well, I'm better than him, so I, I should be accepted. He didn't look at anybody else. What he did was he looked to Jesus Christ, 
the sinless Son of God. That's who he measured himself up against. Here's what I know I deserve. Because of my sin before a holy God, the Bible tells me that I deserve death. It tells me that all over the place. One of the key statements about that is in the sixth chapter of Romans, in verse 23, this statement where Paul said, the wages of sin is death. That's what I deserve because of my sin. I deserve death, not just physical death, but I deserve spiritual death, to be eternally separated from God, to be abandoned by God for eternity in hell. You know, it's, it's, it's remarkable, really. Next to Jesus, there were two thieves hanging on one of two crosses. Both men were guilty of sin. Both men heard and saw the exact same things during those fateful six hours. Both men were dying, and both men needed a Savior. The difference is, one of those men recognized his need. The other man didn't. I've been uh, preaching for quite a few years now, and... Uh, you probably wouldn't guess that from how young I look, but uh, it's, it's been a long time I've been preaching, and one of the things that's always amazed me in preaching is there can be two people sitting side by side, and, and one person is getting what's being said. There's a, they, they have a sense of humility and the presence of God, and sitting right next to them is, the, is another person who's hearing exactly the same thing I'm saying, but they really don't care all that much about what they're hearing. It's like, I mean, I can tell. It's like they're going, you know, like, I wonder how soon he's going to get done here. You know, that, that kind of deal. One person sees their need. The other person doesn't. And so I'm, I'm asking you this morning, just very straight, which, which one are you? Do, do you see your spiritual need? Do you really see it? That brings us to the second question, and I think it's equally important, because how you understand, answer this question makes all the difference on what you do with Jesus Christ. See, as, as much as the first, it's what determined the response of each one of those men on crosses to Jesus Christ. It's, it's the question the one man asked of the other when, when, when the other guy mocked Jesus. This guy over here asked this question that we find in, in verse 40. It said, Luke writes, uh, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? That, that's my second question. Do you fear God? You fear God. You know, it's, it's not a popular thing these days to speak of God as somebody to fear, but honestly, I'd be a pretty bad pastor if I, if I wasn't honest with you about that. Because the truth is, God should be feared. Because God is holy and God is just and, and, and God is going to hold each one of us accountable for the lives that we've lived. You know, Now, no question about it. If you if you uh, come to Brookside enough times, you're going to hear me many times talk about how loving and gracious God is. I mean, my goodness, John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. So no question about it. God is loving and God is gracious. But you know what? You and I cannot miss the truth of God's holiness and, and our accountability to him for our sin. 
if you're here today and, and, and you and I could talk, you know, it's like if we could have this deal where it would just be the two of us sitting at your kitchen table or my kitchen table, and, 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 and you would say, but yeah, but Steve, you know what, I, I, I'm not sure, I'm, I, I'm just exploring this whole thing of Christianity right now, and I would go, oh, that's, that's great, I love to hear that you're doing that, and then, and then, and then I would say to you, you know what? If I could recommend one book that, that out of the Bible to read, I would probably say, read the book of Romans. It's just a brilliant apologetic of the Christian faith. And, and one of the things that Paul does in that book is in, in the first three chapters, he just kind of, you know, helps us really get the, 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 the most basic truth that we've got to understand. And he, he writes about the holiness of God. He he talks about the grace of God, but one of the things that he talks about in those, in fact, right out of the box in the first chapter, he talks about the fact that you and I are sinners, and we deserve God's judgment because of our sin. And, and then he does an interesting thing in chapter 2. He, he speaks directly to that person who's just ready to, you know, just been dismissing this all of their life, just kind of brushing it aside. And, and, and I mean, this is pretty serious, what he wrote, and... You might not even like it, um, but here's what he said. He said, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil. There will be wrath and anger. The one criminal understood this, and he feared God. The other, the other man dismissed it, and he mocked God. And, you know, there was all the difference in the world between these two men, and it's what makes all the difference for each one of us. Because the truth is, unless we're convinced that God will hold us accountable for our sin, we're never really going to see our need of a Savior. And the cross of Jesus Christ, his, his death and his resurrection, is only going to be something that you're going to think about one time, one day, every year. So question number one, do you see your spiritual need? Question number two, do you fear God? You want to you write that down. And here's question number three, who do you say Jesus is. Who do you say he is? The, the repentant criminal said this in verse 41 and verse 42. It's like he, 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 it's like he looked over at the other guy and he's talking about Jesus Christ and he said, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus. He looked over at Jesus and, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He saw the sinless, perfect life of Christ, and he believed in him as the eternal Son of God. You know, honestly, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting him someday, because we don't know anything about this guy. The only time he's mentioned in the Bible is right here. You know, uh, he's hanging on the cross. That's the only glimpse we're given into his life. And, and so I thought about that this as I, as I was working on this sermon, I, want, I wondered to myself, you know, did this guy have any kind of contact with Jesus Christ before? I mean, did he, perhaps he was standing at the back of the crowd one, you know, more than once, listening to Jesus Christ teach, and, 
and he heard words of wisdom like unlike he had heard anywhere else before. Or, or maybe he was in a, a, another crowd and he saw Jesus do the miraculous, heal somebody or, or bring somebody else back to, from the dead. Or, or maybe he was there enough times when he saw how Jesus Christ responded to people, how he was so kind and gracious and loving. I mean, you know, or it might be that it was just simply that he saw Jesus Christ die. He saw how he died. And it might have been that he'd seen many crucifixions before, because that was kind of what people did back then. They'd go watch somebody get crucified. And, and, and what he saw in Jesus that day, he had never seen anybody like that before. You know, whatever happened, he was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. Who do you say Jesus is? How you answer that question, friend, makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, might be, it might be that um, you're here today and you're saying, man, I'm still asking that question. I haven't made up my mind yet. You know what I just want to say to you with, with all of my heart? It's like I could, if I could just, you know, again, you and I are having a one-on-one -on -one conversation and I, I would just say, oh, man, don't let another year go by without, without answering that question, who Jesus is. It's so important. And if you think about it, I mean, if you're really logical, there's really only four options for who Jesus Christ is. I, either he was a, a, a legend, or he was a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he was who he said he was. And as far as Jesus Christ being a, a, a legend, there, there, there are the evidence, the historical evidence for the fact that he was a real guy who lived on this earth. It, there is so much historical evidence for that, that that the most respected historians and scholars say, there's no question, he was a real man, he really lived. And as far as him being a liar... I mean, just think logically about that. If you were lying and you were saying you were the son of God and then one day you got arrested and, 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 you, and you were told you're going to be crucified and, and maybe you hung in there for a little while thinking something might happen to change it. But once they, start, they put that beam on your back, I tell you what, if I, was, if I was lying and saying I was the son of God and I found out I was going to be crucified, I would just go, hey guys, just kidding. You know, I'm not. As far as being a lunatic, I mean, you know, read what he taught. I mean, everybody, it's, it's a recognized fact. You hear people say it all the time. Nobody spoke with the wisdom with which he spoke. And, and, and then you listen to how he, how he answered his opponents, how, you know, how he debated with them. You just can't possibly be somebody who's a lunatic, a crazy guy. And, and do that kind of stuff. I mean, all, all I'm saying is you got to think this one through. You just got to be very logical about this. And I, I don't know, I, I would just conclude he's the son of God. Question number one, do you see your spiritual need? Question number two, do you fear God? And question number three, who do you say Jesus is? Here's the final question, everybody. Write it down. Have you experienced God's grace? Have you, have you experienced the same grace that this criminal on the cross experienced when he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And Jesus said the most grace-filled words 
to a man who could do who could do no good works. I mean, he's dying. He's on the cross. Who could do nothing religious? Who couldn't do anything to pay back the debt of his sin? Who could? The only thing he could do is to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Remember me, he said. And Jesus said in response, "I'll tell you the truth, guy. You're going to be with me in heaven today." You see, an amazing thing happened that day in the life of this man. He saw Jesus for who he is, the sinless son of God. He saw himself for who he was, a sinner. And when he saw, when he heard Jesus Christ forgive those who were putting him to death, it's like it all came together for him and he understood why Jesus Christ was on the cross. He understood that Jesus Christ was dying for sinners like him. And so when he said, Jesus, remember me, you know what he was saying? He was saying, I put my trust in you as my Savior. And in that moment, I mean, every time I I say it and think about it, it just sends chills up my back. In that moment, he experienced the amazing, wonderful grace of God's forgiveness. And with it, the promise of eternal life. Ah, praise God. Praise God.